With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Pretend Hot Rod Lincoln music. Pretend Hot Rod Lincoln music. Welcome to episode two, everybody. That's how we do things here. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have that fancy uh, Von Hessler doctor uh, promo. Uh, oh, you're the, you know, there. You're theme song. There. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't pull it up on the machine here. But anyway, uh, folks, welcome to our second episode of Five to Go. It's uh, unfiltered expert analysis in no particular order, okay? You've got three guys that have followed NASCAR for a long time in different respects, whether it's Media Garage or whatnot, and we're here to dive into the big issues of the sport. We usually pick five or so of them every week, go long form of them. We're not recapping the race for you. There's plenty of other po- great podcasts, including if you're listening through the PRN channel, the Fast Talk podcast, the O'Reilly Auto Parts Pit Reporters, two great places to start where you could just get a digest of the NASCAR uh, news and notes that are just for that week. But myself, Doug Turnbull, along with the Von Hessler doctor, WSB Radio host Eric Von Hessler, and champion mechanic Dan Elliott are going to dive in on five topics long form, guys. And so... We were just sitting here talking off the air, and it is no secret what what is uh, the, some undercurrents that are going on, not just our sport of NASCAR and racing, but in society. It, it, it's just things seem unsettled yes, right yes. now. They, say, they seem just people n- not only are angsty and divided, but it just seems like anything could drop to the good or the bad at the last second. And, of course, the latest of these things being... Starting at the end of last week and into the weekend, some really tough stances, or I don't mean tough as good or bad, but just staunch stances on the Colin Kaepernick and then and then different people's NFL uh, not standing up, kneeling, whatever during the national anthem. And it was not a zero issue in NASCAR. There was nobody that was protesting the national anthem that we could tell, crew members, drivers, owners, whoever. And then owners got asked about it, and then immediately. Richard Childress and Richard Petty get caught, get, get caught or release statements, whatever, on the record, making very firm statements saying, essentially, if you don't stand up for the flag, you're fired. Right. To all their employees. Agreeing with the president's remarks from Agre- Thursday, yes, right? Yes, yeah. sparked, of course, by, as I, yeah, the, as Donald Trump's pre- uh, remarks, I believe it was a Saturday press conference. It, or I thought it was Thursday. I, I, he was there for Luther Strange. Okay, yes. Yeah. Well, so, but, uh, but uh, end of last week conference, nonetheless, where he where he even went as far as to say anybody who doesn't do in the NFL is an SOB right. in so many words. So I wanted to bring this in, not so myself or Eric Von Hessler, who has spent already two hours today on his uh, – and you should go to the Von Hessler Doctrine podcast and find that talking about the issue, or Dan Elliott, about what we feel is the proper decorum as humans we should do for the flag. But I want to talk about where does this intersect with our sport and should this – with the state of the economy and the state of things being so uncertain in NASCAR intersect with our sport. I'll pivot to you first, Eric Von Hessler. Well, I think all sports, you have to remember there's a governing body. And the governing body does have the right to tell... Look, you have a right to uh, to free speech, but you don't have a right to race in the Cup Series. You don't have a right to be in the NFL. And I think that any governing body... Uh, has the ability, if they want to, to say, if you're going to be in our sport under this governing body, we're going to expect these things out of you. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say to players on their platform, essentially I agree with what Jerry Jones said. Jerry Jones said, you are entertainers on a stage, and that stage belongs to me. So I can tell you how to act on that stage. And what people forget about free speech is that's about the government. The government doesn't have the right to tell you you can't say something. But we're on radio. I'm governed by the FCC, which is a governmental body, actually. Uh, the, the FCC, I'm governed by advertisers. So I can't just you know decide to say anything that I want to. But I don't have a right to work at WSB. They want me to work there, and I want to work there. So I don't think there's anything wrong with a governing body saying, if you do that on our platform, uh, we're not gonna, we're not going to employ you here. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think you are right. Uh, Richard Petty and Richard Childress are kind of put on the spot. There wasn't a problem in NASCAR. 
but that's the way the media is now. So they were going to be asked the questions. Yeah, and, and for those who don't realize, Eric, you've been on the air while this was happening, okay? Yeah. But Dale Jr. sent out a tweet this morning that said, and I will read it, it is a quote from JFK, or at least he's, I haven't looked up to see if this is a quote from JFK. I'm just going to assume that Dale it's Jr. It's an internet quote from it's JFK. An internet quote that Dale Jr. tweeted from JFK. I like what it says either way. It says, all Americans are granted rights to peaceful protests. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And I, and, and I think that's something in all of our political dialogue and, and anything but to But I think remember. that's on your own time. That's not necessarily that you're going, you, do, you have a right to free speech. You don't have a right to be at the cup, to, to so, race in the cup series. And so, and so Eric, you, I, I really respect your opinion because you're just, you're analy- we could talk about the monster energy can you're drinking there and there's a way to, you, you would have a way that I haven't thought about that can. And so I, I love that you bring that analysis and, your, and of course your political state of mind. I want to r- bring in Dan Elliott here. Dan, by the way, is extremely analytical, and he and I have taught. We tried to solve the world's problems in my car right here at the station today. But uh, Dan, you've operated a racetrack, and you've been a mainstay, in the, especially through the 1980s and early 90s in the NASCAR garage. Where do you think the? How much do you think the sport should tow into the political arena, and is it to the detriment of the sport if it does? I, th- I think it's to the detriment of everything when you get into this because. It's one of those things where you're you've got to be willing to pay the of the decisions that you make, and if you're willing to make a stand or a statement about whatever sport, and I think sports should be left alone and just enjoy the sport. Let's leave politics out of the sport and enjoy the sport for just the purity of the sport itself. But if you're going to go in and make a statement, then. You've got to be willing to suffer the consequences, whatever it is, because I may or may not be in another ball game based on the way the owners or the players have voiced their statement of what they're willing to do. Well, I agree that you can protest anything, but you've, you've got to be willing to suffer whatever consequences go with it. Uh, it certainly, and, and as a track operator, I'm sure you had to deal with how much were fans allowed to express themselves? And I don't mean just in a way a hot budget issue we're talking about. Someone could come to your when you were operating Gresham Motorsports Park and say, "Well, hey, it's my freedom of speech to watch this race. Oh, I don't know, topless or to scream the f word out every time Russell Fleeman passed Dwayne Begay on the racetrack." All right. Which Dwayne Begay didn't race there a lot, so it didn't happen a lot. Just it's just an example, okay? So, what, where where is as far as fan behavior? Because maybe that's what this could boil down to. Or does to driver behavior? Did you, as a track operator, have to step in and quote unquote step on somebody's rights? You know, it's something you do as a business owner or a owner of any type franchise or facility that you have to deal with, and. Let's just put a little bit of class with it. Obviously, you don't want to take your family somewhere where it's going to be either a any of this stuff coming up. You you don't want to. You're you're there to like I said to enjoy the sport and let's enjoy the sport and leave this other for Facebook or wherever it needs to go. And um, we can certainly decide this. There's plenty of time to do that. Let's just enjoy and have a good time. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's almost like uh, I love you know rock bands and stuff. I don't want to hear the opinion. If I'm going to a sporting event or I'm going to a rock show or I'm going to a whatever, I'm choosing to kind of leave the real world behind for a couple hours. That's why I'm there. You know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. why I don't take my radio with me and watch the news while I'm at the races because <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to escape this. <laughs> and right now I'm caught back up in the middle of it. And, and I don't like it. Where am I going to go now to escape and just have a good time and enjoy my friends and company and family and just have a good time? Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And so, one, one more thing on course, this, uh, yeah. because I know we're going to move on. Uh, NASCAR will be forced to deal with this more. If you noticed on the NFL, my, my recollection is, except for the opening day, Unlike NASCAR, you didn't see the national anthem before every football game. But now they are taking the time to make sure that they show it, not out of patriotism, they're, because it is a controversy. And so they and they will take the time to point out who's kneeling and and who's not. And that's going to affect NASCAR because no matter what NASCAR does, the coverage uh, now the news departments at NBC 
for instance, are going to be putting pressure on, hey, look, there's a cultural story going on here. See how your sport is responding to it. Because they think that equals ratings. I think they're wrong because I tune out when they start talking about this sort and, of stuff. And, and the example that always comes up that you brought a bunch of times, Eric, when I've heard you talking on the air and when you and I have even talked offline about it, is what's happened with ESPN. ESPN decided, yeah. hey, because let's face it, the other media are – an opinion based. I mean, a lot of times our opinion based. Most of the show is analysts talking about political issues, and so why not? Why not go off topic and and try that? And unfortunately for them, it's it's hurt what they are doing for. I think that well, same reason. Uh, yeah, they you want don't escape. Get, you don't get Pulitzers for just being a great sports writer who tells you who won and why and what happened during the game. The sports Pulitzers are giving given to reporters who uh, address culture through the games, and reporters know that. That's what, you don't get awards from just being a great. On you know on track reporter it doesn't work that way. Yeah, certainly. Uh, any parting thoughts, Dan? I, no, I, before I say that, by the way, I do want to point out NASCAR just in the last couple of years has had a conflicted relationship with politics because I went to Daytona in 2016 expecting to see several cars with political campaigns plastered upon them. The Florida primary was coming up the two days afterwards, but Donald Trump was so far ahead, I think there was not much competition by that point. It was February. Uh, there was, a, it was supposed to be a John Kasich-sponsored race car, and at the last second, JGL Racing in the Xfinity Series said, we're not doing it right. for whatever reason. And then I asked Daytona President Joey Chitwood, I said, you know, Mitt Romney was the grand marshal here in 2012 before the race got rained out. Like, well, he was at the driver's meeting. What happened? There's no political. And he said, we're trying to keep this a release and stay away from it. The very next day after the Daytona 500, Brian France, David Reagan, Bill and Chase Elliott. Uh, uh, Dan, I'm not talking bad about your Kim, but I'm just <laughs> saying the the the. The contradiction were endorsing Donald Trump, but as individuals, they weren't. They even Brian France said he wasn't endorsing as right. NASCAR; he was endorsing as an individual. Right, but it's it's hard to make the distinction yeah. between the rock star individual and the rock star when you're at a rally, and the only reason you're there is because you are the person that you are. You yeah. know, and, and at that point, Brian France, the only thing anybody knows about Brian <laughs> France is that his grandfather founded NASCAR. <laughs> That's right. the only thing they know. And so I think it puts you in a tough spot. As a traffic reporter on WSB, I have been instructed by management to just stay out of it. And, and and that's why here I'm not going into the actual issue itself. I'm talking about how it intersects with NASCAR. So you're saying they're censoring you? That, no, I'm, I'm saying, kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. No, I'm but, kidding. But that, I've that would be in that trouble ridiculous. before right. for, for weighing in on something I was passionate about and trying to weigh on in a balanced manner. But all it did was inflame people, and then it attached me to an issue. I can't and with my with the brand that I have is not a talk host. Yeah. Can't afford to do it. So it, it's a really conflicted issue there. Any And, before, and I want to pivot to you, Dan, one more time. Any parting thoughts kind of on just in general NASCAR in the political realm, Dan Elliott? You know, any time that you make a statement, you know the affiliation. You're WSB, obviously. I'm part of the NASCAR family, whether I want to be or whether I'm not. It's still looked upon that way, just like when I turn on the computer this morning, there's a picture of Richard Petty. Well, Richard Petty has been out of racing since the directly out of racing indirectly he's still a, a major part of it but still he's not the part that i would go to for the current i'd want to go to one of the francis or one of the reigning champions or or so forth and he is a reigning car owner obviously so his input does matter, but you've got to understand is just like other people have a right to protest and 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 say what's on his mind, so does Richard. He, he has the right to do that. But that being said, you know, I was thinking about what we talked about earlier, and, and as a team owner, he can tell the people that they've got to stand for the national anthem, and, and, and I have to agree with that because my father fought in World War II, and that's the reason that I have the stand that I have. He fought for this country. He's proud of this country. So as Richard saying that, now if I'm on the team and I don't exactly support that, well, I have the right to go somewhere else. And, and that, that, is, that is a fair point. And so I just think that there's – to put a bow in it, I don't know that there's any winning this issue, right? It's no, there's if, not. There is there, there's there, absolutely not. Yeah, and, it's, and and I don't know that it, this is not anything that's going to be settled in my lifetime, and probably anybody else's. You do the best you can, but but it it is a tender subject, obviously, 
and and we're going to have to tread carefully on what we say and do because the consequences are long term. And, and to share a little bit of info there, th- thanks Dan for that. Uh, Brad, before Dale Jr. sent the tweet heard around the world right now, the the biggest breaking news in yeah. all of breaking news history that Dale Jr. <laughs> would say people have the right to peacefully protest. Jr. had kind of the you know, he he spoke out against the showing of the Confederate flag at the racetrack. By the way, it's a complicated issue. Uh, Brad Keselowski said uh what someone said what do you think about this the protesting during the anthem he said quote on twitter uh, last night sometime i can get behind trying to make the world a better place i can't get behind putting down others kneeling clearly does both yeah no I, and, that's not that I mean if you ask for personal that, that that's my that's my opinion as well and, right. and, and and governing bodies not really nascar nascar's we pulled into this because everybody's going to be asked the question i don't see anybody actually kneeling for the net i mean i would no. be very surprised if that happened in nascar but you have to with the nfl body governing body after a while with people they're going to separate they're not going to separate the players from the league and if it continues after a while it's going to seem like well that's the league where they don't stand for the national anthem whether yeah. that's true or not because and, probably most players are standing and kneeling no matter for what. the national anthem has it just in this weekend has become has has stood for more than just what initially Colin Kaepernick kneeled for. Now it's well, I'm just going to show solidarity with my teammates that are upset about it. It's become all these things. So you yeah. can't if, if you're making a snap judgment about somebody that does it now. It's more complicated right. than it is because because just like a lot of the famous movements right now, whether it was Tea Party a few years ago right. or Black Lives Matter or right. what, they they end up meaning a bunch of splintered different things, and you can't hang your hat on the whole. Yeah, no, one of those well, it's hard. It's a thing. nuanced yeah. issue, but yes. then uh, for most people, it's just: are they standing? or Are they not standing? Yeah, and, that, and that's and what I, it was on Sports Center for the first uh, ten minutes right. this from morning, my, right? Yeah. From my point of view, the concept—I'm getting a little political here, and then I'll cut it away. That's okay. You the can. whole the whole concept, <laughs> the, the idea that everyone who stands for the national anthem thinks the country's perfect is absurd. I think taxes are too high. I don't like the fact there's twenty trillion dollars of debt. I stand. You stand and salute the flag, and then you complain. That's the way that I see it. Sure. sure. Sure, absolutely, and and uh, you know, Dan, I know you're passionate about the sanctity of this country as well, and we all are, and and how that manifests itself is different, and I really, I think that's where the difference is because I I don't think that the people that are kneeling all hate America. No. I, that's that's a that it's a more nuance than that. I just wanted to share a couple of more pieces on this. Richard Petty. So we had Richard Childress and Richard Petty say. Now this is Richard Childress and Richard Petty, and hear what I'm about to say next. Say. You, if you don't stand up, you're fired. Here's what the actual head of Richard Petty Motorsports said, who is not Richard Petty. <laughs> Strangely enough. Andrew Merstein, co-owner. He said, and Richard Petty is part owner, but these guys brought the bills, okay? NASCAR owners who spoke out today are all proud Americans who have lived through world wars and turbulent times. While I respect their thoughts, and personally, I think it's wrong to kneel, I wouldn't fire someone... It's the same organization. I wouldn't fire someone for expressing their feelings. I would sit down with them and say... It's the wrong thing to do, and many people, including myself, view it as an affront to our great country. If there is disenchantment toward the president or a few bad law enforcement officers, don't have a cross over to all that is good and right about our country. The flag is – he goes on to say what right. the flag means. I, I don't need to say all of that. But these, these, can I say something? This is being forced by the media and where they and the come narrative. from. Most people in this country just think you should stand. It's really kind of a – you know, the, the Steeler that walked out of the locker room and stood – I can't remember his last name. Uh, right. Ava, uh, the, former, Wave, I yeah. uh, the former arm, Army Ranger, I guarantee you that his sales of his jersey, not just from Pittsburgh, he is going to become oh, sure. everybody's favorite player. I bet after Donald Trump wears, a, wears his jersey right. at the next rally. I, I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> that, guy, that guy is going to become everybody's favorite player out after their favorite team. And that's where... The reality is not with the pressure coming from the media. I don't want to get too political. I know we want to talk racing. One more statement there, and I heard you about to chime in, Dan, and I'll let you chime in for the real last word of that before we go. Uh, NASCAR finally felt pressured to release a statement, and you know I understand that it's a billion dollar industry. Sports are a unifying influence in our society, bringing people of differing backgrounds and beliefs together. Our respect for the national anthem has always been a hallmark of our pre-race events. Thanks to the sacrifices of many, we live in a country of unparalleled freedoms and countless liberties, including the right to peacefully express one's opinion. They they sat on both sides of the pine there saying you have the right to do it. It's not lawyers. Not respectful. So, yeah, lawyers. so there you go. So, um, Dan, one more thought on this before we uh, move to something a little more micro in NASCAR. <laughs> Doug, it was uh, kind of... Uh, cultural awakening for me and it wasn't very much at the time but i thought it was being a kid was the first race we went to in michigan 
Um, I think that was 1977. And, and this is what the Elliott family racing team was. They played two national anthems. They played the Canadian national anthem and the American national anthem. And it was, it just brought chills to you to watch everybody stand for both anthems and out of respect for each other, not anybody stayed seated for either anthem. And out of respect, I thought it was just great to come together as nations and being able to just enjoy a day, a sporting event, and forget about everything else and just come together. And I think I think that's where politics and NASCAR do properly meet. I think about in all sports after 9-11. I mean, the whole country is holding hands. We're going to be strong. And, and we should still see the flag as, as a symbol of that, regardless of how we choose to act during those times. So I, 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 I totally agree, Dan. That's That's great perspective to bring and I know as having operated a racetrack and all that I felt like the most important thing we executed on race night because I sometimes had to press play on the CD player for you was the national anthem and and there was a couple of times that I screwed it up <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not singing it but executing behind the scenes or announcing it so I, I think that's big um I want to I want to pivot a little more micro just into sort of the racing world right now we've got actually the, racing actual, actual racing, racing yeah. yeah so our break from politics is, is finally starting all right 20 minutes in I want to talk about, we know that the Toyotas are dominant. We've heard many variants of a number of different things. And Dan, I'm calling an audible here because Eric brought this up. Dale Jr., who is just shaping the topography of this entire podcast, spoke at length in his daily Dale Jr. download podcast, which is on the Dirty Mo Radio channel, you know, DirtyMoRadio.com and all the different places you can find that. But he spoke about, and then did again to the press later, about destroying tires after burnouts. And he and because what by in doing so you can upset the crush panels under the car, create some you know can create it so you can't really inspect it to its full integrity. And so I'm actually going to pivot as a mechanic. I want to pivot to Dan Elliott first and say, Dan, I don't know if you heard about that or not, but I'm sure you've seen over the years where the burnouts have become more and more excessive, and it seems like drivers do things on purpose, possibly or allegedly to make it so any advantages the mechanics find don't get found by NASCAR. What do you think about the assertion by Dale Jr. that NASCAR needs to do fill-in-the-blank about that? Well, you know, I thought they'd already done it because I can remember a race uh, being held at Charlotte, which was, um, was that the first Winston, the second Winston that a driver won the race and blew the engine up? Oh, it was the very first one, Daryl Waltrip. Daryl Waltrip's yeah, engine blew as soon as he crossed on the yeah. front straight away. Obviously, there are things to be gained by doing this. As a car owner, I could not stand to watch this happen. If there wasn't something involved in it, not everybody, obviously. But um, NASCAR can obviously come in and say that um, you'll be dot points or fined or both if you continue to do this because it does it destroys the integrity of the race car and with the bodies being down to a fraction of an inch difference between each other then you've got to be able to go through the inspection process afterwards to make sure that everything was maintained during the course of the race yeah, well, I, I, well i think um, on one hand if you look at it i think that um Dale was sticking up for his uh, teammate Chase, who had gotten a, a, a penalty on 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 an on a infraction. I, I will and say then, when he first spoke out about it, uh, it came out like last Monday or Tuesday. The penalty was Wednesday, so he actually was not even addressing the twenty four okay, during. Okay. I, I listened to it. He was. He I didn't was see asked, his thing. I I, he, I I caught the press conference. He, he, part. So yeah. So I think yeah. yeah. So, okay. So it speak to Do that, you think also, if they hadn't got caught, anything would have been said. I, I, yeah, I don't. Well, he, you're saying that Dale said something about it before but he the, did. He before. did because he had just had Martin Truex Jr. on his right. podcast as a guest, like cold called him out of bed, right? Essentially uh-huh. to have him on, and then later on was objective enough to say, "Hey, I love Martin, right. but burning the tires down." He goes, "I did that one time on purpose because I'd never done it before, and I saw someone else do it." He hasn't. He hasn't really won in the era that people started doing right, it every right. burnout. Well, I mean, people so, have yeah. pointed out. Uh, I think I saw Jeff Burton point out. This it's not a very good strategy, right? You have to win the race in order for that strategy to work. If you don't win the race, you're going to have to go through and sp- well, that's you a know, good point. Yeah, through tech. But I do remember, and also the burnouts the fans love. So I don't think that I don't think NASCAR is really going to get involved because they're having trouble with fans. And why would they remove a celebration thing that fans love? Even though I agree that it does. Hurt. It does uh, help the drivers and the crews with the integrity of the car and the post 
uh, uh, race inspection. Um, but I do remember that, it, you know, back in not too long ago, drivers would get out of the car and they would jump on top of the car and start jumping up and down <laughs> when they won. And NASCAR stopped that. I don't know if you remember, there was this ridiculous thing for a couple of weeks where they would put a piece of scaffolding up against the car so that when the driver what? got out, he could. This. No, this happened in like 2000, I want to say three, four. Oh, man, I gotta um, go look that up. But, but you, you remember when drivers used to jump up and down in the car? Sure. And they were saying that they were that they were ruining post-tech inspections, and I remember a couple of races where they take this piece of scaffolding before the driver got out of the car, and and so it made it impossible for the driver to actually jump up on top of the car. And that's a post-race celebration, and they did get rid of that for that reason, but the, the, the fans love the burnout. I don't know that NASCAR will remove it, even if it should be removed. Well, and Dale Jr. made the point, you could do the burnout just don't blow the tires don't sit there and i mean there's got to be a point where if you're holding i mean the burnouts now are big i saw tyler reddick's burnout at i was at kentucky speedway in the booth for prn this weekend and it was his first career win and and there's something i want to get to off of this later on in the podcast if we have time but i mean that was a long burnout and then after he got the flag he just whipped it around and did another one again i mean there was it was more excessive than before so I mean, so so Dan, back to you. You said as a as a car owner, you don't want to see other teams doing that. But as an in uh, as a groundbreaking mechanic that you were, were, were there? I mean, without maybe kissing and telling too much, were there certain things that you guys would do back in the day? As maybe even involving a celebration that would help you stay legal afterwards or cover something up? No, not really, because it came down to one thing for us. And, and during the time that we raced, Doug, we didn't have a lot of equipment, Eric. It it came down to you didn't have very much stuff left at the shop. And the motor that you won the race with was the one that you went back and qualified with for the next event. So any damage you potentially did to it during your victory celebration could come back and bite you in, bite you in the butt for the next qualifying run you were going to do because we just didn't have enough equipment to be able to burn down a motor doing your victory celebration and then come back for the next events and and be able to be competitive because you at that time were running absolutely your best stuff and it wasn't a lot of stuff that was easily duplicated because you didn't have the technology or the or the sponsorship to be able to have this stuff readily on the shelf just pull it off the shelf and create another winning motor that technology was on the cutting edge at that time and like ernie said each horsepower that you gained during the course of the year if you gained 10 horsepower that 10 horsepower over the course of the year might have cost you a million dollars to get wow and that was back then that was back in the mid that was then that's that's not now so i cringe every time i see those cars up against the chip doing the burnout. Yeah, I love to see the burnouts, but but I'm like you. It, it comes to the point to where that when is it a burnout and when is it just abuse to the to the drive line and to the motor and and, and they didn't always know, used it, to do burnouts even up until maybe 2001 or so. That really when when the new the the crop that's now the older crop of drivers, yeah. Kevin Harvick's, Jimmy Johnson's, the Bush brothers, when they came into the sport, that became more regular. When Terry Labonte won the 2003 Southern 500, his final career win, the same year that uh, Bill Elliott had his final career win, you know, there were two drivers on their way out. And I remember Terry taking, you know, he may have taken a Polish victory lap. Yeah. And he, they asked him afterwards, and he goes, I don't know these kids are burning out every single week. He goes, I, every, my, my career is enough just to win the race and drive yeah. to victory lane. And that's okay. Cultures have changed. Yeah. But it certainly tears up it a lot of equipment. Me, I always have rock and roll analogies because it's the other thing that I love. But, uh, yes. you know, some bands for a while were, you know, tearing up their guitars. And, oh, yeah. you know, and John Hyatt had a great song called Perfectly Good Good Guitar. Most musicians, old musicians, are like, why would you break a perfectly good guitar? Absolutely. We love guitars. And they cost a lot of money. They do. <laughs> so I'm not going to go out and buy a new guitar before every were, show. And if you were, couldn't you give that guitar to like a kid right. or like somebody yeah, that was yeah. starting out? You know, that would mean way more to that yeah. one person. That sounds like a Labonte thing to me. It's like, we respect the equipment. Why would I do that? Hey, yeah. Doug and Eric, uh, I can remember when uh, I first saw Jerry Lee Lewis. He came to Dawsonville and did a little concert. I would have loved to have been to that. Yeah. Yep. And it was awesome to see. And after the concert was over, he just rolls the piano off of the stage. <laughs> 
in front of the crowd there on and and i'm looking at uh, one of the people there and i said what in the world is this i said that piano couldn't have been cheap well they said it wasn't his piano right oh yeah, yeah see yeah. yeah it was in the rider <laughs> it was in the rider you have to provide a piano that i can destroy that's, yeah, that I can destroy. So yeah, it might not have been their stuff. guitars. <laughs> yeah. It definitely isn't the driver's race cars. So until somebody says something, it'll be as it is. Well, mm-hmm. they, they do ask on the radios sometimes, especially in the lower series, like, hey, can I burn this thing down? You know, yeah, can I blow yeah. it up? And and actually in the Xfinity and Truck Series, they do have a motor rule where you have to take a motor to three different races or, you know, yeah. before, before you can do, do it. But do they you remember to, my stand at the racetrack on burnouts? I, I do, but do explain. Uh, yes, it was, you can do a burnout just as long as you stay moving, because if you pull up against the wall and do a burnout, you forfeit your winnings because it melts the asphalt on right. the front straightaway. I remember the driver you penalized for that too. It was Boo, yes. Boo, uh, Boo Carlisle, who raced in the lowest division we had on the track, finally won a race because I think he was one of only two cars in that race <laughs> and he, or something, it was, it was, you know, yeah, it was something right. that you don't celebrate overly, but he finally won after getting running in the back and breaking in every single race. And so Boo, God bless him. And he was a young, he's a younger yeah. guy and he was kind of a showman. He was more of a showman than a driver and Boo Carlisle in the double zero with a little B in front of the double zero. Boo. Boo. All right. He would, he, he, he sat there and he just floored the thing. He didn't care. I think he, y'all had told him in the driver's meeting that day, this is the new rule. And he floored it, just hold, held it against yeah. the wall. And y'all penalized him and, and whatever little money he won, I don't yeah. think he took match back with he him. He won one that. race and forfeited the money. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, before we get up, I was thinking about this. It's, it's all around victory celebrations. Uh, can I say, can, I mean, I love eye candy as much as anybody, but the, uh, <laughs> can we get rid of the beauty queens? And the, Cause the, back in the old days, the, Good old boys would jump out of their cars, and they would they would you know hug the beauty queens and everything. But uh, these drivers today, number one, their girlfriends or wives are as good looking or better than the beauty queens. And, and some second, of them, some of them both their girlfriend and their wife. Yes, are exactly. Better than and secondly, uh, <laughs> they have so much money that they could lose in a divorce. That it, it, you know it is uncomfortable for comfortable for me to watch these drivers work hard not to make eye contact with these beauty queens, so that they don't have to get in an argument. After after this, the beauty queen I was watching yesterday, and she's just standing there. No one is interacting with her, and it's just well, no, because one of them has to stand by, just like the sprint girl, you know, used to do. The, one of them the has to stand behind them and smile. But, but there, but there's they're showing more than the sprint cup girl showing. I know okay? that, and, and that's, I'm a man. The, I'm a man. That's the thing yeah. that I have a problem not, with. Is I, like, come on, yeah. You know? I'm, a, I'm not opposed to anything that you know. We know, we know what's going on there. But there used to be back when guys used to jump out of the car those good old boys they'd hug them and you know it was like okay there's something going on here but it's just awkward Seems because antiquated i well i know the driver is thinking if i make eye contact this is going to turn into an argument and I, so you had this weird moment where they're just not ever making eye contact with the beauty queen it's yes it's an old Look, school thing it needs to be get, get rid dan, of it dan you've been to victory lane a bunch of times <laughs> in the winston girl era where it was just a, it, i mean it was it was in quote i mean I, i'm not trying to say the wrong thing but it's, it's selling the same thing but it's yeah. selling it in a different way like did you have a problem then or now with the whole beauty girl thing in victory lane no not really and and it's one of those things where you know you're you're there one sunday and you may or may not get there for a lot of sundays following that so yeah you just enjoy it while it's there and obviously nothing's going on so you just take it with a grain of salt and um you're focused on what you're doing and trying to get back to victory lane but it's not the girls you're in victory lane for so um Every sport has this, and every sport kind of gets through this one way or another. You got the cheerleaders, you've got whatever. It's it's nice to have. The football players are usually separate from the cheerleaders or the girls of the, but, the basketball don't get, don't game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. bringing up a moral objection to it. I just think yeah. it's awkward. It is awkward. It's just awkward. Because they're right next to each other. Like yeah, yeah. Samantha Bush and Braxton yeah. come <laughs> squeeze into victory lane right there. And, and like the, the girls girl. already standing there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, we're not laying fault to her either. Yeah. I, I totally get that. So I actually want to do talk about Kyle Bush and Martin Truex Jr. and the, the fast Toyotas. All right. By the way, they've had a lot of chances to do those burnouts. That's how we kind of got on this but our third subject today i want to i want to address it seems to me they've won rounds one and or the race one and race two of the playoffs round one and two round one they're already you know blanked into round two they're done and they are the routinely the drivers 
Kyle Busch led 187 laps in Sunday's race. Martin Truex Jr. led, I think it was 112, and Kyle Larson led one, and that was it. <laughs> and those are the three guys, by the way, that yeah. continuously come up in the Final Four conversation. We're not supposed to call that the Championship Four conversation. So, uh, I'll, Eric, I want to ask you first, uh, out of these drivers, out of Truex and Kyle Busch, they're supposed to be satellite teams and sharing information. At what point during this playoff – Recalling on your years of watching these championships in different formats, at what point does the playoff does the notebook close between either Joe Gibbs Racing at Furniture Row or between the seventy eight and the eighteen? Uh, didn't when Kevin Harvick won, they they, they were satellite to who were they satellite uh, to? With Hendrick, yeah, with, with, with Hendrick through so last I season. I don't know how I don't know how that that was handled. I, I'm used to satellite cars are, aren't going to be fighting for championships with you usually. Now it's a little bit of a different era, so I think they're kind of. They're going to have to make this up as they go along. I think at that now, I I can only tell you what I think I would do if I was in that situation. I would get rid of the whole satellite thing and just you're basically teammates, and so you you should handle it the same way. If Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson sure. are in the chase, give them both the same stuff. I mean, information. Which Furniture Row is data. paying for right. the same stuff. Yeah, if they have and every gives, right. Is, yeah. It gives, I think the problem, maybe a little tension this year has been they've had the same stuff. And Furniture Row, the 78 team, has whipped their butt. Right. And, and now they're a little more equal. But still, Truex, for those who don't recall from Sunday's race mm-hmm. or didn't see it, got caught up in Kevin Harvick's wreck coming to the green checkered flag at the end of uh, stage number two was all the way back in the pack and drove up to fifth at Chicago last week he drove from 13th to yeah. first pretty much under green flag so so Dan in your experience I the Elliott family team was always a single car race team but you followed team motorsports did you ever have a satellite relationship with another team and did it ever get testy or or were you completely independent how did that all work a couple of generations ago now you know, it was uh, never satellite. You had some owners along that owned several different teams, but it still came down to when it all sifted through, you had one or two drivers that were better than the others. And obviously, all the funds got kind of diverted to the better drivers. And Once it got when you're to trying the to win championship, a championship, that's the way yeah. it's got to be. Today, I still, I still have a hard time dealing with the fact that you've got so few owners that own so many cars down to it you really don't have a choice in the matter of what goes on when you've got a team owner that's got three four or five teams and he wants to do whatever he wants to do you're pretty much you play or go home yeah it hasn't hurt i mean i think uh for the most part as a fan i don't if I watch Formula One, I can see and feel team orders all over the place. I don't feel that from NASCAR. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, um, but you still have two competing organizations here. Right? One's a satellite team, but the guys at Furniture Row want to win this, and the guys at uh, JGR want to win this. So it, it seems to me that uh, it's still a pretty competitive thing. And I think Dan's right. It, at the end, when it comes down to it, these are the these are the best drivers this year. I mean, uh, uh, Kyle Larson's in a Chevrolet, and Chevrolets have been having trouble, along with the Fords being up there in front and winning game, winning uh, uh, races. But for some reason, Kyle Larson, uh, you know, well, with, whatever the package is, whatever the aero yeah. stuff is, these are the three drivers who have figured it out better than anyone else, right? Well, I think so. I think that's and drivers and teams. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I think exactly. they need to put those together. And there's no doubt that the 18 has run better than the 11 which has run better than the 20, which has run better than the 19, mm-hmm. and they're all Joe Gibbs racing. So let's let's look at it like this. Last year, Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson had an incident at Chicagoland. They were still satellite teammates, and Harvick went and confronted Johnson and the motor coach, and someone they caught that on a security camera. That was last year. Yeah, it was last year. And and then Johnson later on in the season, as the season wound down, made a comment about, yeah, it doesn't really seem like, you know, the four keeps beating our butts every week. That was a conversation that was being had from 2014, 15, and 16 mm-hmm. was why was the four of Harvick outrunning the mm-hmm. whole Hendrick Motorsports when they're sharing information? And really, this is just the next iteration of it. Now the now that Stuart Haas has moved to Ford, growing pains. Hendrick has less teams to share with, growing pains. Yeah. 
the 78 and the, and the Joe Gibbs Racing team, or the Furniture Row and Joe Gibbs Racing, are a potent organization together, and they're in their second year of it, and they're hitting their stride. What I, so, can't, I can't figure out yeah. is why the Fords can't find I mean, When you see someone like Kevin Harvick on one team, yeah, maybe there's there's growing pains there, but then someone like Brad Keselowski, they're, they're there throughout the race. They look about mid-race as if they might be able to do something, but time after time, by the end of the race, they're fifth or sixth well, so or seventh. You know, One thing I've heard, I was talking to a couple of people in the garage this past weekend is that the t- there's a reason that the 2018 Toyota Camry racing body was on the track before the stock car, the actual product vehicle that customers could buy was. Right. There's a reason for that. And it's that the nose is so engineered that it adds a certain amount of downforce. And that's when Brad Kislowski made the tweet last week. And we talked about it here on the first episode of this pot five to go podcast, which y'all should go listen to, by the way, to get some context. When Brad Kozlowski tweeted that, I think there's been something that everybody knows in the garage is going on, and it may not even be cheating, just an actual advantage that is built into the cars that every Toyota has. Now go ask, no, go get BK Racing or Premium Motorsports to explain <laughs> it, but they, they have a lot of other stuff wrong, and that could be what the advantage is. Right. So any, any last thoughts on the 78 and the 18 or, or teammate sharing information, Dan Elliott? Well, you know, it's to their benefit to do that to some point and then let the drivers settle it when it comes down to the end of the race because obviously it comes down to the end of the race you've got to be there to scrap it out with whoever if you got two drivers you've got to put yourself in that position to be able to be there to compete for the win yeah so hats off to all of these drivers that day in day out that, that seem to be the cream of the crop and get it done at not just a couple of events for the for the major part of the season, but you've got to remember one important thing: Chase is not, and the tide could turn any time on an advantage that yes. some team's going to come up with. The, and just like Hendrick, he's been the beneficiary of many of these years because look at the championships, obviously that they've carried home. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's got the right to say anything about Toyota because. At some point in time, even Roush seemed to have an advantage years ago, and I don't know where that went. Yeah, that's, that's gone that, a bit long, long time. Yeah, but but still, the tide could turn any time, and you see a different group of drivers in victory lane. Yeah, and also I always you know, I always think of Jimmy Johnson lurking. If the if the two front runners start messing around and get in trouble. You know, yep. Jimmy. Jimmy might jump up and, and steal another one because I felt like I, I was surprised if, that he got the, uh, the the one last year. Oh so, yeah, and, and I think Pete, he seems even more distant this season. He yeah. finished fourteenth, I think it was. Yeah, they've Sunday. got problems over there. Definitely. Yeah, it, it yeah. seems like. But fourteenth is all he's having. He's still comfortably in this thing. If they just kind of slowly build momentum and then round three turn it on and win two yeah. of those three races. Don't count him out at home. But don't you, at don't, all. don't you, don't you uh, think that yesterday, if Truex hadn't gotten in trouble, he's still faster than the eighteen? Don't you think that he would have? That oh, was his race to lose. At one point, I think he'd been nice lead. to have seen it settled out. That <laughs> yeah, way. yeah, yeah. He took the lead by some pit strategy. He stayed out during a pit sequence. Yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> but it didn't. But he finished. But he went from like thirteenth to first. Yeah, and then he finished fifth. No, it worked of, out for points. It didn't yeah. work out for a win. Yeah, and and because uh, Doug and Eric, what races are coming up? That uh, do you see other drivers? Having an advantage on races that are coming up here. Yeah. In Talladega, the is a, Talladega is a uh, short, is, is, yeah. a, is a crapshoot. But guess who almost won Talladega in May? Kyle yep. Busch. Ricky Stenhouse Kyle played Bush. him on that restart. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's it, it's I, it's funny because in the fantasy league, and I used uh, Martin Truex for the, my last time that I can last week. And every week, I looked at the track, and I, and every time I think. No, this is a Truex track. It yeah. doesn't matter what kind of track it is. Right now, the, I'm thinking it's a Truex track. The drivers that are the best are the ones I usually pick the least in NASCAR fantasy because they never stand out to me as, oh, this is their track. Yeah. Because it's like Jimmy Johnson's like, eh, he could win anywhere. Yeah. And Truex, I literally went into Sunday with, out of the nine times you could pick someone, I'd only picked him twice this Ooh, year. Oh, wow, you got a good uh, stretch. I do, yeah. but how idiotic. How, that's why I'm so far behind. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm going to play so it differently much. if I do it next year. I'm going to have. I'm going to. I'm going to save all the really, really great guys till the end. Yeah, well, that, and that's yeah. what I've tried to do. But yeah. in the middle section, that's tough. Okay, so two two more subjects here. Where, uh, by the way, if you're tuning back in, listen. This is the Five to Go Racing Podcast. WSB Radio host Eric Von Hessler is on. Champion uh, mechanic and track operator Dan Elliott from the Elliott Racing Gang out of Dawsonville. Dawsonville, Dan is on with us. And I want to ask you all, because, Dan, this relates to, to your nephew, Chase Elliott. All right? 
I was bewildered and befuddled and taken aback by the news several weeks or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that he was going to be in the nine car next year with his same team and that Hendrick was going to table the five and have William Byron drive the 24. And that alone was enough to just maybe feel this is the weirdest year ever. I just feel like it's just something mm-hmm. weird about it. But I wanted to make it be about something bigger, and that's that we used to see, like, say, the number 10 of Ricky Rudd. That was always the tide forward. Every race, it was cheaper back then. There was a lot of value. The sport was rising. Tide laid down the money. The DuPont 24, rarely did they have a different sponsor. The the GM Goodrich number three. Oh, I don't know, the Coors number nine Ford, right? Those always had just about the same sponsor. And now you have drivers changing teams all the time. The team will just decide to change the numbers. So, Dan, I want to ask you, do you, I mean, do you, does it sit with you the same way it's sitting with me? This, this, so much change going on that even Chase Elliott, two years into replacing Jeff Gordon in the 24, is like, eh, I want to be the nine. I want to be my dad's number. How, how does that sit with you? I think it's, uh, I'm surprised it wasn't the number nine to begin with. I'm, I'm really surprised it didn't do mm. that. But you got to look at it maybe from uh, two advantages here. One or, or two things that pop into my mind is, are they trying to bring the magic back? Is is it about the numbers that they may be able to see victory lane? Or is this about another die cast and another way to sell something at Walmart? I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to look at it and wonder why a lot of things do happen. But you know, if you could get to the right person, I'm sure you'd get an answer right quick on what the truth really was. And and, and I'm wondering, too, because they re-signed Chase this year. This is the year that his contract ran out. Chase ran the number 9 all the way through late models, k and Pro Series. He ran the 94 for a few truck races and the 25 for a few cup races. All of his Xfinity races were in the 9, and then it's been all cup races in the 24 since then. And so I'm got to want you know Eric if maybe this was something that he negotiated because he's not getting the salary that a normal Cup driver would because the sport is changing so maybe he and his management team said okay if you're not gonna this is just a theory yeah. I have no I have no inside knowledge here I'm wondering if maybe he negotiated that because he couldn't get ten million dollars well next it year. wouldn't surprise me uh, you know athletes of all kinds get attached to numbers. Uh, you know, a college player that's a big college player come onto an NFL team and they pay them something to get the number from somebody else. Because yeah. so uh, athletes of all stripes uh, get attached to numbers and they want to be with the numbers. I don't have, and I understand putting Chase in the nine. It makes a lot of sense as far as bridging two uh, generations. Or you know, I, I I get all that. He seems like he belongs to the number nine. There's no problem with that. I I'm, and then you can't retire the 24 because of the legacy that 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 number has. And Hendrick, it's kind of sad. Because because Hendrick started with the number five. Yeah, and your boy, Jeff yeah. Bodine. Jeff Bodine, yeah. who, uh, you know, was the, I named a hamster Jeff B when I was in third grade. And Je- this was because I was seeing Jeff Bodine race the 99 modified at, uh, you know, Spencer Speedway in Rochester, New York. So I, before he even got to Cup or did anything, so five, I, I, it's sad for me to see that. I know that it's been a bit of a cursed number, strangely enough, for being the oldest I was, number. I was too. probably a, a Jeff Bodine fan until I saw him come into Pocono that time with Tanya Tucker and he had his leather pants on his top hat. Uh, that did it for me. Jeff was, uh, as a kid, he had the coolest looking car. It was number 99 and it was green and white and uh, gold. And you know, when you're a kid, you, and he won all the time, but he, he I think from that, that point, I think now he's a really cool guy if you talk to him. But oh, he yeah. was he was seen at the short tracks as being, you know, rather arrogant. He was one of the first guys who had a, a T shirt truck back in like nineteen seventy one or wow, seventy two. Yeah. But you know, these were great races I saw when I was a kid. Richie Evans and uh, uh, Maynard Troyer and Jeff Bodine. So these were it was great racing. And then he went into the five, he won the Daytona five hundred and you know, so it's it's for me it is uh, Jeff Bodine aside, um, just to lose that number for Hendrick when it's the when it's the founding number is, uh, I think, a little odd for me. But I understand why you would put Chase in the number nine, and that and and that number five has been a little bit cursed. It's been the car that kind of won't do what the rest of the cars that Hendrick would do for a long time. Kyle got a couple of. Uh, couple of wins out of it yeah. but uh yeah, yeah, is, it, yeah. is it in the number or is it in the driver it's in the driver yeah. yeah and it should be in the driver i mean this one thing is this sport has become such a team sport is the drivers have less personality because of the refinement and the money it really we need some drivers for it to be about 
the driver. And if that if the number nine makes Chase Elliott's team more about Chase and less mm-hmm. about oh good race car, that that that's going to be something valuable to it. He seems to me to be the heir apparent as far as winning the most popular driver title to Dale Jr. Sure. But there is no way that Chase Chase alone is the heir apparent to the rock star status that Dale Jr. has. And part of that is just he's a low-key dude. Mm-hmm. There was something, Dan, about your brother. Bill was the same way, but but there was something about him that I think because of how you guys started coming out of the hills, mm-hmm. out of nowhere to one, Chase doesn't have that a, a, advantage, so to speak, because of the advantage he Everybody had. saw him coming. Everybody saw him coming. I think that that's less charming. So... It'll be interesting to see. This half second week in a row that my alarm to wake up. Yeah, well, at least we know. That, at least we know you're not going to oversleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be bad if I overslept from this seat for sure. That's that's funny. So, but anyway, I, I think that's it's an interesting thing to unpack. Am I, so this leads to the last question. Then our fifth topic of the day here on five to go. If you two, Dan Elliott and Eric Von Hessler, and Eric, I'll start with you, were bajillionaires. It didn't depend on sponsorship. That that was all. You were furniture row racing. You were mm-hmm. back in your own team. And you had to start a two-car race team Ooh. for the future. You're, you're planning on being in the sport for the long haul. Who are the two drivers, Eric Von Hessler? And if you you know need a moment to think about it, no, or I, I, it, you I, can. I can take anybody that's in the field now. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Any, anybody, yeah, anybody that's anybody that's a regular Cup driver now. I, I would well, I would say anybody that you think is Cup ready. Okay, uh, you're going to start it next year. Um, well, I, I, I'm, if I'm going to start next year, I'm, I'm going to keep it because I would throw my buddy Andy Lally in because I think he deserves a cup ride. But I, but I threw him in there yet last week, and I don't want to become like a, oh, a homer, that. a homer with him. I would, <laughs> do it. <laughs> if you, but I would, if you look at the whole cup thing now, if I was starting two team, if I was starting two cars, I would, I would take Matt Kenseth as the veteran, put him in one car, and I would put Kyle Larson in the other car. And I think I, if I gave him the right equipment, I think I'd do pretty good. We're waiting for Doug to get back to his. Uh, he thought I was going to vamp. I think, I think the that. live the live stream went off the air. I'm not sure or not. I can't tell. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Dan, uh, no, it didn't. Okay, we're back. Okay, so, so, yeah. so yeah, I got an icon that popped up on yeah, this iPad I over that. here. So, so yeah. my thinking there is that Kenseth, I cannot believe that this guy doesn't have a ride. Um, I get a veteran, I get a past champion, and then I get someone like Kyle Larson, and I get uh, youth, and uh, you know maybe the the future. All the, the hope in the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so Dan Elliott, Eric's gone, Matt Kenseth and Kyle Larson. They're, they're, you can pick the same two if you want. They're, we're not doing like a fantasy draft Well, he better here. pick Chase or else he's going to be in trouble, I would think. I, <laughs> he's been I, in trouble. So I've got a bajillion dollars and I can pick two drivers, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to take my bajillion dollars and I'm either going to take my wife or the Sprint girls and we're going to go out of this country, <laughs> find an island to buy and you won't see me anymore. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and this this brings that old adage, right? How, how do you make a small fortune in racing? Start with a large. Yeah, start one. with a large start one. With a large one. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I'm sure this is a, a buddy of mine uh, used to drive. Used to say, and I used to say, man, I, I have this weak stomach, so I can't even be an amateur driver. You know, I get out of the car and I'm. I, for four hours, I'm discombobulated. But in my mind, you know, I'd love to be. I'd love to do that on an amateur level or something. And my buddy who drives uh, at the amateur level, said, "Well, if you want to get the experience of being a race driver, just pick the hottest day of the year, go up in your attic." Put on uh, all your winter clothing and a big winter clo- coat, <laughs> and sit there and tear up money for two hours. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, listen, the struggle is real. So uh, before I before I tell you my uh, before I tell you my two drivers, um, I spent some time in the garage for the Xfinity Series. I had a long conversation with Harrison Rhodes just off the re- just just chatting about his plight in racing uh, with David Starr, who's on the other end. Rhodes is a youngster. He's in his 20s. David Starr is in his 40s, maybe even close to 50 now, both driving for Xfinity teams where they can't even afford to buy enough sets of tires to race the whole race. And they were actually in a predicament this weekend because the Cup Series wasn't there for them to buy scuffs from. Mm. So there were less tires available for them to buy for bigger teams to have at a reduced rate to run the race. And it just, you know, it just... The reason I'm saying that is it just made me think about the future of this sport and and wishing that they had a chance somehow. And I guess, you know, for the the libertarian side of me wants to say, well, it's capital. But then it also makes me think, well, there's a billion dollar governing organization, mm-hmm. NASCAR. You, you would think that there'd be some way to subsidize tires just so they had the tires for, for Pete's sake. And then they talked about the complexities in marketing 
mm-hmm. themselves when they don't have any guaranteed TV time because they're running 25th in the Xfinity Series because they have no motor. In a, and they're just as capable drivers, more than likely, just like you talk about with Andy Lally, yeah. than, than, say, whoever. Maybe right. say Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney, very talented driver. Sure. Had some help. You know, his dad got him there. Uh, and I just bring that point to say there's so many interesting stories on the other side of the garage. And, so, and I don't I don't have any way to judge the talent. When you're talking about burning the money in the attic, I don't have any way to judge the talent of even like my friend Chris Cockrum when he runs two races a year. Yeah, it's hard they to. They just can't. Right. Just can't do it. Can I just to jump in? And I know you're doing your thing, but uh, I mentioned this last week. You know, it, I want to see older drivers. I want to see somebody 45 years old I want, along with the 19-year-olds, and I really think it's – I don't know what you do about it, but I think it's hurting the sport. Also, cut 10 races, you cut the tire budget. You cut the tire budget, uh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Uh, you know, David Starr told me, he said, literally, he's like, it's 3500 bucks for a set of tires, and if I have that set of tires, I have a good enough car to run 18th. If I don't have them, I run 25th. That thirty five hundred bucks is yeah. not worth it. There's no difference to a fan between eighteenth and twenty fifth. It's slightly better, and that's that they just don't even have a chance. It's it's a really tough predicament it's in, and that's a problem that's always, as you know, Dan always existed in racing, and we saw it all the way at the short track level. Yeah, what did we talk about last week about the owners are not going to pay the veteran drivers the money. They're going to get the younger drivers yeah. that can bring a sponsor, and if you're not fortunate enough to bring a sponsor, there's a lot of talented drivers very talented drivers that'll never have an opportunity to showcase any of the talent that they've got and exactly and so when i was it actually what you were just saying about bringing the older drivers eric made me reconsider what i was doing so i think the driver right now that you could pick that's the biggest mix of veteran and youth that could be here 15 something more years but has already done something is joey logano mm-hmm. he always gets forgotten because he's been around so long he's already part of the present not the future he's right. not thought of as the future and i kind of feel the same way actually about his teammate brad kozlowski kozlowski's like 32 mm-hmm. 30, you know he's young they, dougie i was thinking about dave marcus uh when's the last time you saw a driver drive with wingtips so. yeah 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 <laughs> ain't that the yeah, truth I, 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 because you lose listen when, when a when a when a person gets into their mid-40s uh their personality begins to flourish. You you, yeah. you you lose fear of things. You you're, you're going to go ahead and say what you think. And I think that all this stuff about age and everything we talk about it is a problem in NASCAR. That we need more personalities. I don't have any problem with with guys who are 20 years old and somehow they just got their stuff together and they're they understand everything and they're low key. But we need guys who get out of the car and start raising hell because that was part of the sport for so long. And You're talking about John Force now. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah, go. we were talking about this last week. There's, we need those kind of and I, it, like to me, I, I think I brought up Ricky Rudd last week. He wasn't a total, but he was a guy. He looked dirty when he got out of the car. Yeah. These guys look like male models now <laughs> when they get out of the car. I, <laughs> well, that being said, I I was going to start with Joey Logano, but let, let, let's take a mixture of old and young. I'm going to go Kevin Harvick. Yeah. Because of the varied experiences he's had as an owner, he's 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 got all these other ventures outside yeah. of racing, and I think now as he's looking at a sport where now Dale Junior. stepping out of the way, I think Harvick sees his opportunity for two or three years to be the guy, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm not and I'm picking him over Truex because of his winning pedigree for years and years. Even when he was a Childress, he managed to squeeze out a few wins a year. Oh, I believe Harvick so, has another championship in the future. Me too. Me too. And then instead of going Kyle Busch, who I think is the one that's at the top, tip top of his game and will be here another 10 plus years, I don't like the dude's attitude. If I'm an owner, I just don't like that attitude. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it. There's too much to deal with there. So I'm going to step down and say out of the younger batch of drivers, Kyle Busch, by the way, is only 32 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. It's unbelievable. He's been around since Remember they had to raise the age. For, he was going to come in when he was 16. When he was 16 when and they Roush. raised the age to yeah, 18. Exactly. Uh, so I would also go Larson just because I think he has he's shown the most potential out of that same group that includes Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Austin and Ty Dillon, Chris Busher. Those guys always get forgotten chris yeah, busher is a Busher's freaking good a driver whole okay? lot of talent yeah. whole lot so, of talent so there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people to choose from there and the thing is the difference between first and 30th is as far as drivers go is minimal and then that difference only compounds itself when you get in bad situations and bad equipment uh dan i was looking at the field this weekend so they had the huge nascar like southern late model tour series race i don't know the exact name of it but it was at martinsville speedway under the lights saturday night dan and from first 
there was like 60 cars or something tried to qualify. From 1st to 30th, there was less than a half second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, remember, I can remember going to some of those races back when Cup ran, and it was a tenth of a second between the first car and the last car. That's and unbelievable. And you talk about competitive fields. Now, that's how much has changed over the years. And Doug, at the, at the number of cars yeah. for an event at Gresham, when you had probably 10 to 15 late models for an event where when I was a kid, you'd go and there were lots of good cars that were turned away that did not make the feet. Yeah, yeah now you have way junkier cars that were missing the races in 2007 starting 35th because you just don't have the money. The money's not there. The sport is obviously going through some kind of adjustment and contraction. That's why I just think, is to go back to our first topic, we need to be careful as a sport what we really kind of kind of nose into there can i ask i know yeah. we're, we're, we're ending now but this is something that's on my mind from last week we talk about drivers and personalities whatever happened to greg biffle i right i, I, I know he retired i guess or but I, he I, sort of did like he but definitely it, yeah is this his decision to be this far away from the sport or it god that guy was a good driver and roush was going down hill while he was there i i just he just disappeared. There was no, there was hardly any sponsorship on the sixteen. Yeah. I think you know it was a mutual decision, but I don't think Greg Biffle wanted to show up to the racetrack forty weeks a year and run. Well, I get that, but I mean, he didn't go you know, into the booth. Weeks. He was an art- he's an articulate guy. He didn't yeah. go in the booth. He didn't. Yeah, he just disappeared. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know any inside of that, Dano. No, but you've got lots of drivers that have done that also, and and you just go back and look at your list from less than a decade ago and run down the list and it's the same thing and and it comes down to what i heard as a crewman back when we were at the top of our game when you're hot you're hot and when you're not you're not yeah yeah and that was certainly the case with gray biffle there my pappy sure. said son you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod lincoln all right, guys, well, let's let's call a wrap here. Throw out a checkered flag for our second episode of Five to Go. I did manage to get Hot Rod Lincoln playing. Sooner or later. Yep, God, God bless you, Captain Herb. That's it. So we remember our buddy Captain Herb who uh, set the blaze, at least on the WSB channel, as far as having a NASCAR show there. But Eric Von Hessler catches Von Hessler Doctrine every day on WSB Radio and our app and our website from 11 to noon. And then, of course, your podcast hour, just like this in this yeah. very room. The 1207 to 1. 1207 to 1 something. If you have the WSB Radio app, you can find everything. Von Hessler Doctrine. That's for sure. Hey, Doug. Yes, sir. One parting question. What would Captain Herb say about yesterday's race? What would he say? Yeah. said, oh, Lord, the Toyotas. That's what he would say. <laughs> Dano, thanks for coming in and thanks for remembering him and folks we will see you next week at this time or in a week if you're just listening in the middle of the week here to the five to go podcast i'm doug turnbull eric von hessler dan elliott peace out for me by then the tail